Welcome to Replies, everybody. I'm Ryan. Hello. I'm Josh. And I'm Greg. Of Indef Media. Y'all are both just competing now, 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 now. It's a anyway, dick contest. We are back with another lovely episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are back with another lovely episode, yep. and this time it is actually our first listener suggested episode, as we said last time. And thank you to. Oh, did we look up who was the person that suggested it? I believe it was Alexander Hamilton. All right, we're going to let Greg find that one. <laughs> You're not fact checker Josh right now. No. Anyway, uh, before we do that, we have a really quick announcement. So as most of you know, I have a, as I said before, actually, a game channel on Twitch and on YouTube called Instant 3 Play. But Rumor Flies is going to be taking over that channel on Hostile March. Hostile Takeover. <laughs> Hostile Takeover. On March 31st at about 8 or 9 p.m. We'll update you as we go on the Facebook page and such. But it's just plan around that time. You can get to it by uh, twitch.tv slash instant3play, I-N-S-T-A-N-T-T-H-R-E-E-P-L-A-Y. One word. Yep, all one word. Uh, and we think we're going to be playing Rocket League mainly, but we're going to maybe you know dabble around with some other games. But you get to see Josh be very good at it and then Greg be mediocre at it than me be bad at it so you mean you get to watch greg just run into other cars constantly he's good for what he does hey we everybody needs an enforcer ball cam is not for the not for the real men so So anyway (laughs) mark it down in your little black books march 31st friday about 8 or 9 p.m and then you can go out to whatever bar you're going to afterwards after watching us do that so now for the episode today we are talking about survival and drinking our own piss Yes, well, that's what we're going to get to eventually. Um, for oh, that's an video. actual topic. I just saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, man. It's not that I'm not prepared. It's just one of your topics. Way to spoil things. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, into that, the next video supplement, uh, Josh will be drinking his own piss. Yeah, let's do it. Come and on. we'll see how long it takes for him to pass out from dehydration. <laughs> So anyway, oh, uh, we'll, we're going to be talking about survival. This time, uh, this may be a recurring episode, I think, because this time is specifically going to be for like backpackers or people in the desert or like forest or jungle Hiking, regions, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like we're not talking about the cold or at sea or space, you know, we're going to be talking about <laughs> space survival. Myths. I was going to say, I didn't know that was something I wanted, but let's go for yeah, it. Forefront, man. Anyway, so suck it, Elon Musk. <laughs> We know how to survive your bad <laughs> landings. So we're going to be covering mainly the Backpackers Edition, I guess. This would be called. Uh, Josh, you're going to have the first topic today. So I think we don't have anything else to talk about before that. So you want to jump in? Yeah. So the first topic that I'm going to be talking about is you should drink from a cactus when you need water. Now, common sense, Ryan. I mean, help me out here. Everybody knows that there's water actually inside of cacti. Mm-hmm. That's the plural, right? Yeah. Not I, as far as I know. Not cactuses. Is, is, is. Yeah, cacti. Anyway, so there's water inside of a cactus. And if you're thirsty, like in a desert, get stranded and whatnot, you just cut that motherfucker open and just get some water out of it. Like, that seems pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, anyway, it's a very popular trope that comes from like old cowboy movies and, and, and like westerns and stuff like that. I feel like I've even seen a YouTube video of somebody like chucking open a cactus of some sort. I don't know which one. I mean, cactus is a really broad term. There's yeah. A whole bunch of cacti. A lot. Yeah. A lot of them. But yeah, I remember watching them as a kid, like the westerns and, and the, the old cowboy movies like with my dad. And I'm not talking like Charles Bronson. I'm talking like old black and white, like, you know, when he was a kid, which is, you know, my dad's old. So Josh, you look right here. Clint Eastwood. 
pussy. John Wayne, pussy. <laughs> we're just going to go ahead and just have all the people that were in black and white. Film, television, ruined westerns. I mean... Color television. <laughs> <laughs> film television <laughs> yeah but I, I remember seeing it like really often so um th- this was like a really great topic for me to take so the short answer is no don't do this it's a very very bad idea don't do it it's not good so why shouldn't we do it because i mean th- there is i've seen cactus juice or something available on like a uh in like a grocery store sorry my computer's telling us to restart um, but yeah, I've seen juices for like cactus and like online or something like that or grocery stores somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. They, like that's an actual thing that, that they sell. And but... I've eaten cactus before. I don't like it. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, we'll get to things similar to that later on surrounding this topic, but there, <laughs> there's just not a lot of benefits to, to any of the things that you just mentioned, but, and I'll get to it, but I want to start off with like, where does this come from? And it was actually a really interesting answer because it it went somewhere that I wasn't quite expecting. So while these people may not have been the first, they were ones that pretty much made the headlines for doing it. And it was the the Seri Indians. I believe I'm saying that correctly. S-E-R-I. What do you mean these people? All right. I don't need that from you. <laughs> so they're typically found in like the northern state of Mexico along the Arizona and New Mexico border. Chihuahua? No, I don't think that's northern. I'm just no. pick, I'm just picking a You're random just, yeah. state. <laughs> well, so they're they're on the Arizona and New Mexico border, and they also border the coastline of the Gulf of California, which I didn't know there was a Gulf of California. I just don't care. Oh, it was only Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. It's a- hey, Josh. When they say like states of Mexico, why isn't like the United States of Mexico? Are they just like the Mexican states of Mexico? That yeah, that's essentially what they are. <laughs> the Mexican states of Mexico. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. And the, the Seri Indians, uh, or the Seri people, they used fishhook barrel cactus, which is mostly found in Arizona. The what type? Fishhook barrel. Fishhook barrel cactus. Oh, okay. It's a barrel cactus, but I guess it looks like a fishhook or something. It looks I- nothing like a fishhook. Okay. I looked it up. It looks, I was like, oh, I'm sure it looks like it. No, it looks nothing like that. Maybe they used the quills as fishhooks. Maybe. Mm. That's an interesting thought. I didn't think of that. Are they curved? Yeah, it looks. It's almost like a sphere. That's all it looks Greg, like. Greg, that's your mission. Find the fishhook cactus and see if the quills are at least like hook shaped at all. Anyway, continue. I don't. I don't remember them being hook shaped, but I. I mean, that was also. I wasn't looking that intently. Maybe fish, fish hook, hook barrel cactus. Barrel fish hook barrel. Yeah, and that that was their source of emergency water when they were out in the desert, and a lot of the <laughs> the tribesmen who drank this cactus water soon after reported severe stomach problems so they were just shitting and vomiting everywhere really after they drank it yeah and the funny thing is is that this is one of the only known oh yeah. is it yeah, yeah we saw it they look like fish hooks they definitely curve there we go okay cool etymology there we go um yeah so they were just shitting and vomiting everywhere after drinking this water because that was their like emergency supply. And when was this reported? Like, like when? I mean, they've been doing it for a while. Uh, okay. Yeah. They just keep doing it. Well, not not anymore because you know as technology advances and stuff. But um, so the brass tacks here is that the water inside this cactus is very acidic. Now, not to bore you guys with too much of the you know nitty gritty and the scientific stuff, mostly because God forbid you talk to me about chemistry. Yeah, I know that's. But the the basic knowledge here is that 
these cactuses undergo photosynthesis differently from normal plants. And if you remember, photosynthesis... Chlorophyll? More like borophyll. <laughs> I think it's the second or third time we've done this at that point. I, I think so, too. I'm, I'm fine with it every single time. But photosynthesis is when plants take light, carbon dioxide, and water and convert it into oxygen and energy and things like that. Is that right? I'm kidding. Yeah. I know it's right. I'm kidding. Um, so because of this extreme heat... I just blanked out for a second. I was just like, I'm sure he's right off. I, I don't want to ask him to repeat himself. <laughs> so because of this extreme heat, they actually undergo photosynthesis during nighttime instead of during the day. And the, the heat from the sun acts as a catalyst when they're undergoing this photosynthesis. So the But the heat isn't there. So the carbon dioxide actually stays inside the water. And because it, it's not processing these metals, um, they actually just stay in the water. And that's one of the things that makes you sick. You know, Can I step on a podium real quick? Sure. All right. What you just described is a very miniature cactus-sized scale of what global warming does to the ocean. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, it keeps some of the carbon dioxide in the ocean and then... Well, things die, like fish and coral. So the metals that actually stay inside this cactus in the water, that's what gets you sick. And it's, and it's a very simple concept. You know, you're dehydrated. You don't have a, your body's not functioning properly because you, you don't have any water inside of you. So you're adding this foreign substance into you that your kidneys need to process. And you're essentially giving it more work to do with less energy to do it. That, okay. I mean, that's, that's the really, really simple way of putting it. So that kind of feeds into what I'm going to be talking about next. So. And yeah, I mean, this, this is a great topic because it leads into so many other segues that we can get into. Right. But I, I also did look into like, what do you do if you need water? And one of the suggestions uh, that is in the show notes is to actually eat uh, the heart of the cactus, you know, the inside of it. And that's one of the things so you can gain its courage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Become one of its people. Uh, and there's actually some water inside of it. But it's not enough to replenish anywhere near the amount of like, you know, two to three gallons that you would probably need when you're dehydrated. So it's really not the best idea because you're also expanding, expending, sorry, and expanding a lot of energy just to cook this little bit of water to get inside of you. You know, that's like, I would still say that that might be one of the more resourceful things in a desert because, I mean, there's a few things that we left off the table here, like. I didn't think it was appropriate to bring out that you should suck on rocks if you're dehydrated or something. That was yeah. another one that I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, you, I, don't think, I don't think you can suck water out of a rock. They say it just causes salivary production. But that's already in you, and you're taking it out of you to put it back in you. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. It, you're just in a constant cycle. But, I mean, so the bottom line is, like, if you need water, like, it's approaching 48 hours in the desert, and you have had no other fluids go into you, yeah, fuck it. You know, you're in survival mode. You need to do it. If you have other options, don't do it. Right. It's not smart. If you have a camel by you, just tap open its hump. It's got water in there. <laughs> you, just, you just drill a spigot like right into the fucking side like of it. Like they do with maple trees up north. <laughs> That's how they do it in Canada. But the, the, so this is now kind of a little bit more tangential. And it's something that I found very interesting. One of the survival tips they give you if you get lost in like, you know, uh, especially a very desert. Burning man. Yes. <laughs> Desert-like plain is go north. Oh, yeah. Well. You're, that's your that's your that's your that's your I, it's I my next talk. topic yeah that's <laughs> you yeah that's my next topic and i will get into it why but that also what leads me to believe the next thing which is that's why people tell you to follow the north star mm. i think there's some kind of correlation there and i mean i, I there's no way to confirm that but His that's name just, is polaris yes that's exactly it so before and be, when i say go north i'll get more into that in my next topic, but this is a little 
little whistle wetta. Okay. Little whittle, little whistle. That's whittle. catching on, huh? Whistle whittle. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's a thing now, right? Okay. All right. So, uh, you done with that one? I mean, I guess. Since you so reluctantly have given me my topic now, <laughs> and accidentally uh, brought up the fact that we're talking about drinking urine. Yep. We're talking about drinking piss. Yep. So, this myth, I guess everybody has figured out by now and has probably seen Bear Grylls do at this point, uh, you can keep yourself hydrated when you are in a low water environment by drinking your own urine. So if you're like stranded at sea, that's fine? That's a whole nother topic we're going to get to. Oh, okay. I'm Not tra- right now. Oh, all right. In the future. All right. We got to have more episodes and other seasons, man. It's little, little whistle wetters everywhere. But, <laughs> all right. We've uh, answered every question. Show's over. Deuces. But if, if you're trapped in a proper sea where there's salt, we'll just start off with that. Just assume there's no water around you because you can't drink that shit. Um, or that piss, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> so... Um, so we're going to talk about, I guess, once again, the so woods stupid. or desert environment where you can't find a water source of any type or there's no cactus to get, you know, the shits from. <laughs> so you're going to go, ha- you're going to have to drink your own urine. So let's start off with that since that's a pretty easy myth concept. You know, it's been around since God knows when. I mean, it's a almost intuitive thing to like, you're going to drink something wet if something wets around you and you're that thirsty. Like desperation's a real thing. Yeah. Just like, you know, you'll find anything to keep yourself warm if you get too cold. That's actually a little bit um, erroneous to say that. But anyway, we're going to start with talking about the components of uh, human urine. Can we just call this uh, the Revenant uh, Memorial List? (laughs) Like, can we just call that this? Because this is essentially what it's turning into. No, the Revenant episode is going to happen, I think. I think that's definitely going to happen. And it's hopefully something we're never going to have to do a video supplement on because I don't want to go anywhere cold ever. Except for Antarctica. That'd be cool. I was going to say Iceland. I'd go in the summer. I almost went in the winter, but it's I didn't. It's like the most like, hipster place to go now. Well, all right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would like to go visit Iceland. Greg, you were on like a three-month Cigarose and Bjork kick. I don't get how you can call <laughs> oh, it. It was a lot hipster. longer than three months. <laughs> uh, a lot longer than three months. He used to do this fun thing where he would oh, just no, like. Oh, no, what's he going to make up now? I'm not making it up. <laughs> I was riding around with you, and like I remember you were just like, hold up. Let me change the CD. This is back before we had like, you know, uh, like iPods or anything like that. This isn't high school. I went through all of his burn CDs. He didn't even buy them. And it was just, he literally had like a whole sleeve of Sigur CDs. Some of them were copies with remixes. Didn't even know there were remixes for Sigur And then some of them were Bjork too, including Bjork's DJ sets, which suck, by the way. I saw one live. That sounds like, I don't, I don't think, that sounds like a, uh, it sounds like an sleeve. Or no, this like, is you. That or, sounds like a or d- sleeve. This is or you. D- oh, no, I had that much Bjork. Thanks for all the beeps. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> bork, bork, bork. So anyway, uh, Greg's an Icelandic hipster. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to spend my birthday over in Iceland. Ooh. It's so cheap. On my typewriter. It's so easy. And the best part is records. you can get anybody you want over there because they know you're not related to them. Yeah. So there's <laughs> that. Point. Anyway, so we're going to go ahead and go into the components of human urine. The first one and the most predominant one is actually roughly for a decently hydrated person, 95% water. Oh, cool. So that's a good start. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The second one is urea, which is a processed form of ammonia when combined in the liver with carbon dioxide. And most people should know ammonia is no bueno in most cases. It is very toxic. However, urea is safe to mammals. Really? Yeah. A little uh, other cool facts about it is urea is also high in nitrogen, which actually makes it ideal for fertilizer and for making primitive gunpowder. Uh, there was, uh, did you ever read um, Blood Meridian, Greg? Greg? Josh? 
No, I didn't. So there was this one... I don't read. <laughs> Fair enough. So there was this one... James Franco almost made this movie, by the way. Just letting you know. Yeah, I so remember this could have seen that. He made a different one called Child of God, which is a fucked up book and movie. So anyway, in Blood Meridian, there was this really cool part where the, one of the leaders of like the, the troop that they were with, they got caught. They were about to get caught up by some Apaches that were going to go and kill them because, well, they were killing Apaches as well. Uh, they didn't know what to do. They were out of ammo. So they went into a bat cave, like not the bat Batman. cave, but a cave full of bats, found some guano, uh, or in layman's terms, bat shit. They found some saltpeter. Yeah, Ace Ventura. I remember that one. Yeah. Guano. <laughs> Bumblebee tuna? They found some... Uh, Bumblebee tuna? They found some saltpeter, and then they pissed on it, and then they let it dry for a while and used it as gunpowder in their guns. Huh. And the deal is, it was so accurate. You can actually do that. Like, you can make gunpowder with piss. It's not the most ideal thing to do, but urea is, you know, usable for it. I never would have thought about that. So, uh, our next video supplement is going to be <laughs> making gunpowder by pissing on a couple of things. That's fine. Uh, just put a match to whatever we piss on. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, <laughs> after that, there are various salts, potassium salt, uh, sodium salt, just different types of salts that are in your urine. And finally, you have waste products from whatever you have eaten previously or taken, like including drugs, uh, you know, prescription or otherwise, or any other type of toxins that might be inside your body. The liver processes anything in your body, and usually uh, either the waste goes out through your poop or your pee. And your pee has a lot of the metabolites, like we talked about um, the grapefruit messing with the metabolite oh, prescription production. drugs and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so those are metabolites from that. Is and also the... how they drug test people, that's, they find it through metabolites, yeah, and that's... That's, that's a waste product, technically. I was going to say that. Yeah, there you go. So now, why is it a bad idea to drink urine when it's 95% water? Well, honestly, in a pinch, just like, I think this is going to come up for everything we talk about. Oh, no. Maybe not? No. No, okay. <laughs> So it's one of those in a pinch situations where if you really don't have anything else around you, then yeah, you can drink your urine maybe once or twice. But you know how sometimes your urine's clear or was, it's yellow? I was going to say the impact of how dehydrated the, you are, though. That factors into it. Yeah. So every time you were to drink your urine, if it's really clear, that means that you know, you're well hydrated yeah, and you don't right, have as many right. waste products. But as you keep drinking it, two things happen. There's less water content every time you drink it, and your pee gets yellower ah. to the point where you're drinking nearly orange pee. And also, those waste products keep going back into you, the things that you were trying to get out of, of you and yeah, were not of any back use. Into you, yeah. And even worse, it compounds and stacks on top of each other because actually trying to break down those waste products creates more waste products in the body. You need to put in to put out. Like, that's pretty much you have waste products from anything you do. So, essentially, you keep putting more waste products. Josh, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I'm imagining, like, if you're hungry, eat this turd sandwich, and then you're like, I'm still hungry. I'm going to put another turd on top, and I'm going to eat it. Yeah, the, the, uh, for the whole turd sandwich thing, it's just like that. You're, you're kind of just putting in the waste again, and yeah. then more waste, more waste, and it, it, it just keeps compounding mm -mm. to the point where uh, the body will eventually shut down from just dehydration because at that point, you're not putting in any usable water. Also, if you think about how much water you actually piss out in a situation when you're already pretty thirsty and probably dehydrated, it's not going to be much. So, Ren, I mean... That's my secret. I'm always thirsty. <laughs> hey, Josh has been on Bumble lately, and that's just what he says in his tagline, so... <laughs> <laughs> At least now it is. <laughs> I was gonna say, now it is. <laughs> We're pausing real quick so Josh can update his profile. And send. Okay. All right. That's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> uh, so, that's everything for drinking your pee until we do the video supplement. So, uh, Josh... Uh, baton pass. Catch. <laughs>
I dropped it. Oh, no, we're going to lose. Throw the beer can. Don't drop the baton. (laughs) We'll get disqualified. I've been practicing all night long. So my next topic is going to (laughs) be... I don't know. Leave me alone. Moss only grows... We're really weird right now. I don't know why. Mm. Haven't even been drinking that. (laughs) We're recording too early, actually. Yeah, this is a lot earlier than we normally do. Usually we don't start till about two hours from now. We're not cranky right now. (laughs) (laughs) Just shove and finish the topic, Ryan. So my next topic is moss only grows on the north side of trees, which is really, really interesting. I've never heard that before. I have. But apparently it's a very, very common thing. Dude, we should just take like a Boy Scouts manual for this like episode and just like went through it and just be like, bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's not that's actually not a bad idea. Huh. Maybe next time. So for those of you who don't know, moss is a little flower, flowerless, damp plant that is typically found, I don't know, everywhere in Louisiana, which, you know, we're below sea level, so it makes sense. We have Spanish moss, which I don't actually think is an, a real moss, true to form. I don't think so either. I don't know that, Greg, Spanish moss, real moss or faux moss? Or Randy moss. <laughs> or macho mint, I don't know, okay. Um, <laughs> I know it's invasive, I know that. <laughs> so... This kind of comes in line with my previous topic about, you know, going north. So that's why I didn't want to spoil it too much. But yeah, you would think that um, while you're lost, you know, while, while you're looking for water, uh, you can just look for the moss and go north and that'll point you in the right direction. Dude, they could have made a room for it, uh, like a, a rhyme for it. So I don't know why I said room. Um, when you're lost, look for moss. Yeah. Randy Moss. <laughs> Is that a haiku? <laughs> okay, so the best thing I can find so far is that it is an epiphytic plant. I don't know what that word means. E-P-I-P-H-Y-T-I-C. I don't know what that Found word growing means. mainly on hardwoods throughout the southeast. It is not a plant parasite and only uses the tree for support and protection. It makes its own food. So it's a tree condom. <laughs> it's got its own house. It's got its <laughs> own car. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Greg. You're the moss boss. Yep. So... So, yeah, you would think that you can just look for moss and it'll point you in the right direction. And to that, I say, contraire, mo frere. That's bullshit. So, it's actually really interesting why people believe this, and I'll get to it. Moss likes to grow. Hey, in did a- you say white people believe this? Yes, white people believe in this. Because no, why people believe in okay. this. And white people, let's be real, white people believe why this. Why white people believe this, no. essentially? <laughs> Everybody else is exempt. We know you don't believe this. No, no. they know the truth. Uh, moss likes to grow in a very shady environment and no, that I don't mean that like they hide in the gutters and back alleys and stuff, but, uh, they, it's where they can retain moisture and not evaporate out and, and things like that. So it's a really, really good spot for them to, you know, grow. And that's why they like Louisiana because like I said, we're 14 feet below sea level. Now the origin of the myth is really hard to find, but when I did look, I didn't really find a concrete answer, but I did find my favorite answer. Okay. Did you go to Yahoo Answers? Please tell me what the Yahoo Answers. No, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. Um, my favorite answer to this has to do with the Underground Railroad. That people, that it was a, it was a you know, propagated misinformation that when you were in, you know, using the Underground Railroad, you could use the moss to find which way was north, south, east, or west. Well, there goes my white people joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, real quick little thing. Um, it is neither a moss nor a lichen. Lichen, not lichen. That's the word. Is it not even Spanish? It's, it's, but, well, it's not a lichen. You're right, Greg. But it is actually not a moss, technically. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Moss boss, Greg. Moss boss, Greg. 
That's not a. He's rolling his eyes. It's like a. Is that a? Is that a like insult or something to you? No, it's just the 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 repetition. But I guess a joke's only funny after three times, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're not really sure, but I, I like that. Like I I can honestly see that being a a good reason that people continue to believe in this myth. Uh, you know, because they use it for the Underground Railroad. But the bottom line here Did is... Did they actually use it for the Underground Railroad, though? I mean, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, nobody could say for sure. Like, there was no way to prove that somebody actually propagated that. Well, they sure as f*** are headed north, so I mean, like... And that's the thing. That's why I like it so much, is because they were using that as a means to follow, you know, north. And they didn't care where north, they were just wanted to go due north. The shortest distance possible away from these f***s. Wait, does moss even grow underground? All right. All right. All right. Well, in this no, case, Greg, don't look that up. Spanish moss is not a moss. Greg, don't look that up. I know the underground railroad wasn't actually underground. I was, and, and you know, does moss grow on train tracks? It was a maglev. It's not a true railroad. <laughs> so anyway. the bottom line here is that this myth is untrue. It's bullshit. Okay. When it comes to the greatest country in the world, i.e. America, uh, the sun shines from the south for the most part. And the north side doesn't get exposed as much sunlight. So moss will typically grow more on the northern side than the southern side. But that doesn't mean it's only limited to the northern side. Huh. It's actually interesting because my house faces north. And that's why I hate it during the winter. Because, like, if I, like, uh, my car is always extremely cold in the morning because I park it right in front of my house. And, uh. The sun doesn't get there for a while. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the afternoon, I literally have to use like paper towels to hold the steering wheel because yeah. it gets so hot. So you that's know. why. And it's like a, such a simple answer, but it makes all the sense in the world. So, I mean, but that's why if you're ever in the deep woods and you see like a lot of tree cover, that's why there's moss growing around everywhere because it's shaded and, it, and it's a moist environment for the moss can just continue to grow. So it doesn't even like sun that much. No, it really, really doesn't. And that's why on the flip side, you know, it grows more on the north side than the south side. That's why, like, in uh, Australia, uh, Australia. Australia, moss typically grows on the south side because the sun hits from the north. And that moss can probably bite you and kill you still. Yeah, no, yeah. That's why you never want to be around moss in general in Australia because of everything else that comes with it. Everything is venomous there. Yeah, everything will kill you. But, uh, it's, I, so I can see why people would think that. I mean, I don't think too many people were, like, you know, botanists on moss for the most part. No, knowing that no, it no. doesn't like sunlight, therefore it'll go in the spot that gets the least amount of sunlight per day, you know. Well, so, so the answer is, is like, yeah, I mean, it's not true, but if you're ever somewhere in like a perfect environment where moss is only growing on one side, like kind of thing, and it's over a long stretch of periods, like a, like a, a very long distance, then yeah, maybe uh, you can use that to say, well, that way is obviously north because the moss is growing specifically on that one side, but it's not something that's foolproof and it's not something that you can say with absolute certainty all the time across the board kind of thing. And it also depends on like what region you're in. I mean, I guess the US would be pretty helpful for that little thing is maybe a little tiny guideline, but Well, but the problem you run into like Louisiana going through the swamps, those fuckers are so dense and everything that moss just goes everywhere. Yeah. So there's no real way to get your bearings, but maybe something like Colorado? Like one of the pine forest in a sci-fi channel original movie. Sure. <laughs> That's all they film those in. Have you ever noticed what Maybe they've, like, you know, upped their game a little bit, but every sci-fi funding. channel original movie just used to be in a pine forest. Mm-hmm. Like, Frankenfish, uh, Quack and Duck, whatever, I don't give a shit. It's just, like, tons of weird things that just are in pine forest. Just stay away from them. Is that where Franken, Franken-Duck comes from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So anyway, uh, is that everything for Moss? Or yeah, you got that's it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really simple answer, but it's really fascinating. Um, and like I said, I really like that, that notion of using it for the Underground Railroad, of like, that's its origin. No, that's a really cool little trope. I, that one, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So my next topic is going to be a little bit more dire, I guess. And we're going to be talking about the use of a tourniquet. Like, it's going to be pretty... Uh, everybody Isn't knows what a tourniquet what, is? Yeah, it's where, that's the thing that women wear to make their boobs bigger, right? No, that's a push-up bra. I no, can see. How... I think he's thinking of a um, a tourniquet. No, you're, you're over it's the, a uh... tourniquet. No, I know it's a corset. Corset, thank you. A corset just to make him look less fat. Makes the boobies bigger, though. Also, definitely pushes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Absolutely. It's <laughs> physics, Ryan. It, it concentrates you the skin. Idiot. That must be so embarrassing for you, scientist. <laughs> I failed my tourniquet class in college. <laughs> And my corset class. You can't even name it right. <laughs> anyway, so uh, for real though, you guys know what a tourniquet is? Yeah, that's what you use to like stop the blood flow and things like that to a specific area. Yes, in general, like you see a lot of different, uh, tons of TV shows that just like, oh, Action somebody movies. has, yeah. yeah. They rip off a part of the jacket or the shirt. It's always so sexy too. They're like, they rip with their mouth like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, sexy is the way to put it. The way Bruce Willis just rips his shirt with his teeth. I mean, live free or die hard. And goes, Merry Christmas, mother clucker. (laughs) Or melon farmer. Yeah, yeah, melon farmer. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. (laughs) I remember seeing an edited version of, um, uh, what's it called, Baby Boy? Is that what it's called? The one with Tyrese? The one with Tyrese. Yeah, it's good. And Snoop Dogg kicking over the kid's pillow for it. He's like, f*** your pillow for it, little neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. I love that Ryan still kept the f***. Yeah. Didn't change it. No, they bleeped it. They didn't say fudge your pillow for it. Like, what? Your fort, little neighbor. Yeah. So, um. Anyway, a tourniquet is any device used to cause uh, what they would call vascular occlusion, which is better known as blocking a blood vessel or an artery. Yeah. So, and this is generally used for something like um, surgeries or amputations or just if somebody's bleeding a lot, you go ahead and you tourniquet somebody. Think Civil War. Saw, tourniquet. Whiskey. Don't forget the whiskey. (laughs) Lots of whiskey. That's straight bourbon. So, anyway, it's usually in that reverse order: whiskey, tourniquet, saw. <laughs> Good give job. me the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> they give you the whiskey as a reward for having your hand chopped off. That way, that's why it's called a handle. They attach it to your nub afterwards, <laughs> and then you can just shove it down your throat after that. Well played, Ryan. At all times. Oh, well played. Beautiful. So, anyway, uh, the some of the first recorded uses of tourniquets were by the armies of Alexander the Great during his conquest, where he pretty much took over the entire world as they knew it at the time yeah pretty good and uh soldiers would use them to stop bleeding they would use like bands in general like very primitive versions of it to stop bleeding in case Hmm. of injuries and the romans were also uh, known to use these bronze type of uh like almost clamps that were fastened by a leather strap during surgeries that would hold it down oh i remember that yeah so i mean the surgery is uh, the history of surgery is pretty amazing in general of how amazing is definitely one word for it it, I mean, it's horrific. It's horrific, but We're what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do for I it? Know. So, I mean, 
I mean, you got to say this. You got to be thankful for it because it led us to where we oh, are no, now. I'm just, I'm just saying. Mr. <laughs> Appendectomy. That, tell that the guys in uh, 1500 <laughs> surgery. Well, <laughs> I can't really help them. Sp- Splinter, yeah, we should probably take all the toes next to that one, too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, improvements have been made throughout the ages, and it, the tourniquet technology is actually still being improved on to this day, with the more common ones being pneumatic, which is just like air, air pumped, yeah, like used by air pressure. We have uh, pneumatics, and we also have microprocessor controlled tourniquets in like hospital settings. There's pretty much two different categories. There's like emergency tourniquets, then there's surgical tourniquets that they use, and they have them for every type of limb, every type of appendage, and also, you know, you can control it just by like, they can feel the blood flow and how it should be adjusted or not. Huh. It's, it's amazing what they can do just for tiny things like that. Um, Anyway, aside from that, we're going to be mainly talking about the uh, emergency style of tourniquet. So, emergency tourniquets. This is known to be something that you have to use in the uh, in, like in a survival situation if you have a severe injury that causes bleeding of some sort. Number one, I've had to actually do a tourniquet before on somebody, and it's pretty terrifying when there's that much blood. And I, I that's what I did. I tourniqueted someone, brought them to the hospital. That was that. You see it a lot in uh, war movies too. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do when you have people, yeah. you know, throwing bullets at you, so... Yeah. Okay, well, I have a question. When you do a tourniquet, do you go away from the heart or towards the heart? Uh, well, I mean, the only direction is it, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, is that when you... So, if, like, oh, right above my saying, elbow yeah. gets, like, is bleeding and I want to do a tourniquet, do, do I do, do it at the elbow or, like or, or do I do up higher? Generally, the way that I've seen most people do it, I, I could get more into that because there is a lot of tourniquet etiquette that I've seen. That's an interesting That's way. A, of, like, I was going to say. Tourniquet. 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 But generally, most people would say you're supposed to tourniquet above the place of injury. Okay. That's what I thought as well. So pretty much the tourniquet will go right. Like, say you have a cut on right, right on your elbow. You put it above your elbow on your forearm. So if it's on my wiener, I do it on my waist. Oh, my God. Or it's actually, place cl- you could do it, but you might. my kneecap, actually, for accuracy. <laughs> you know what? Right. This tangential. We'll oh use that God. as an example. From we'll use that as an example from it's now on. It's a dick joke. Yeah, it's gonna. Do, I'm gonna run with it. So, <laughs> anyway, emergency tourniquets. Should they be used in an emergency situation? Uh, the deal is there are some complications from improper tourniquet use, especially in a non-medical or non military. Still use it a lot, apparently. I, I was gonna say, what about the military? But yeah. So we're going to go into everything about that. So here are some of the complications that you can get from using a tourniquet. So, Josh, you were cutting up some salmon from Blue Apron and you just dropped the knife on your winky. So we got to uh, figure out if you have to. Yeah, Josh does everything naked at his house. I mean, that's just. That's a fairly accurate that's, statement. That's proper Josh etiquette. Yeah. Um, proper Josh etiquette. Josh etiquette. <laughs> there we Josh go. Josh etiquette. <laughs> so you get a rubber band and you just wrap it at the base. Uh, I think maybe like clear like foam wrap. You get some scotch tape and you wrap it at the base. Oh, yeah, we go. So you can poke it and you're like, technically it's a semi. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) 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 Just go to the ER and you're like, I got a problem, huh? Huh? (laughs) Hey, lady, it's your tourniquet. (laughs) (laughs) That's so terrible. Oh, I love it so much. Oh, All right, boy. so continue. They ask him about how long he's had the tourniquet on. Why? We're about to go into that. So the first thing that can happen when you have a, a tourniquet on is something called ischemia. And that happens when continuous application of a tourniquet for longer than two hours, uh, can, it can result in permanent nerve injury, 
muscle injury, vascular injury, and skin necrosis, which means just the tissue is dying. That I mean, that makes sense considering that like your body needs blood flowing through it and you're restricting the access. Exactly. Yeah, I've heard so, the don't do it too tight. Yeah, I've heard that before. Don't for sure. do it too tight or for an extended amount of time. Like right. you said, about two hours here. And then muscle damage is nearly complete by six hours. Oh, wow. So, I mean, obviously, I think if you're in that much of a situation, you have the availability to go to the hospital. I don't think you're going to wait six hours for that. Nah. I mean, unless you have to walk your ass to the hospital and it's really far away. But I think somebody might pick you up at that point or I don't know. You could call an Uber and I'm sure they'd be like, hop on in. <laughs> I'm going to charge you the $200 for cleaning fees. That's a lot of blood. I don't care if you have a tourniquet on. So Who wants to take me to the hospital? Yeah, you have those three types of injuries that happen to you. Nerve, muscle, and vascular injury after only two hours. I say only, but that seems like a reasonable thing for an emergency. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, and then after that, you have something called reperfusion, which is uh, a reperfusion injury is the tissue damage caused when the blood supply returns to the tissue after a period of ischemia. So this is a repercussion of the repercussion. So ischemia, <laughs> we were talking about cutting it off, like, you know, cutting the blood flow off and, you know, the tissues and nerves die right. and necrosis because they don't get enough oxygen or any other nutrients they need to the tissue. And when they finally are able to get back, it can still damage you. So you got bad blood that's in that part. Yeah. So um, after that, uh, the absence of oxygen and nutrients from blood during ischemic period creates a condition in which the restoration of circulation results in inflammation and oxidative damage through the induction of oxidative stress rather than restoration of normal function. So, the layman's terms yeah. is it pretty much goes back in your system and that bad blood has been, you know, the whole term of like free radical and stuff like that. So not exactly the same concept, but like bad blood gets in and just gets spread around. So baby, we got bad blood. Yes, we're, I, somebody had to quote Taylor Swift, <laughs> meaning you. I know. Um, and to make things worse... I, I can't help it. The policy of loosening a tourniquet in an attempt to reduce limb ischemia has often led to incremental exsanguination and death. And exsanguination is just loss of blood and death. So pretty much just <laughs> pumps out faster. So you're screwed either way. Don't do it too tight. But don't, don't not do it tight enough, but don't do it for too long. There is definitely a little Goldilocks spot for that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's morbidly funny almost. The fact that like, once you put it on, you got to commit to just, you're going to have yeah. something bad happen to you. Isn't the fragility of the human body. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yet people can get like a f***ing rail rod through their head and just survive. Look up Phineas Gage. That yeah. guy we literally about got him. a rod through his head. Yeah. We, we, we talked about yeah. him. So. That type of thing. The body's very finicky. It's just As like, I'm sure y'all know because you've definitely listened to our entire backlog, right? Yeah, and then you eat like Rumor one caper flies. and you get an allergic Rumor attack. Flies. You know, something like that. Uh, so when should somebody use a tourniquet with all of that being said? Well, there's a few situations. War? Um, war's one. <laughs> and I guess war can apply to all of these things that I'm about to list. First one. If you have a situation where there are a lot of casualties at once. Like actually, uh, a lot of policy on tourniquets was... Uh, reevaluated after something, the Boston bombing, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh, like, yeah, okay. They had to tourniquet a lot of people, and they actually had got a lot of data collected from that to see the effects of people that got tourniqueted from like lost limbs and stuff. Well, yeah. So, that being said, if there's a lot of casualties in little time and a lot of people are bleeding, tourniquet them because just letting them bleed out is just going to be. Yeah, that's not good. It, it's just going to be another issue. Um, and also, um, loss of blood is one of the biggest. Um, one of the most preventable things were uh, caused for death in both military and civilian situations. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the numbers on it, but I remember seeing it as one of the statistics of like most people die from like improper treatment of loss of blood. But a tourniquet can be good for that situation. Um, and also, if bleeding is extremely heavy, obviously, if you tourniquet something, it'll cut off that uh, vein. 
you don't want to be bleeding too much. So I, you can take the tourniquet in that like uh, situation. But at the same time, they don't say what bleeding is too much bleeding. There's not, I, like, I was going to say, it seems like it's a very subjective a, thing. You're not going to be measuring how many you know milliliters per minute you're losing. Uh, and also, it just I guess it's an eyeball type of thing. If you're losing blood from your eyeball, you're going to have to figure out some other issues. <laughs> yeah. so, you got bigger problems. Uh, another issue, if there's multiple injuries and you want to prevent like complete blood loss, like say somebody is bleeding from their chest, but also from their arm. It's like kinda, multiple gunshot wounds. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tourniquet a chest, but you know, the arm, you're losing, losing blood, you're losing enough from the chest, go ahead and just, you know. Tourniquet the arm. Yeah, yeah. tourniquet that. Don't bleed everywhere, bleed from one spot. A situation where if you're trapped and can't get to any sort of like help for a while, in the which I would consider like the woods or like the desert to be a good situation where you're not going to be getting any treatment for it in a good bit of time. Yeah. Um, to a point where you can't treat it in any other possible way. And then finally, amputation. Tourniqueting is a completely viable type of um, uh, treatment for if you have already been amputated for some reason or if you're about to amputate somebody. Because most of the time, the, re- the result from all these things that I listed, the ischemia and the reperfusion, and then also stuff like gangrene and things like that, it's you're going to have to amputate at that right. point if you have those things. That's it can lead to say. worse issues. Yeah. yeah. So amputation, yeah, tourniquet's probably the number one thing you want right there, especially if it's self-induced. 127 maybe, hours, anybody? Maybe not number one. Uh, maybe I want, like, you know, booze or, like, pain pills, but it's up there. Yeah. Well, in case you can't just, you know, pick a Vicodin tree in the immediate area, you might want to just tourniquet first. <laughs> Vicodin tree. So, uh, I wish. That being said, uh, that's one of those conditionals again where... It's, we don't want to have to tell you um, what condition you should actually tourniquet in because I'm not a survival expert. I have a lifeguarding certification that has expired, and I have not had to tourniquet anybody in that situation. So uh, I have a very good source. It's a um, survival medics type of website. Check the sources. They have a whole like write-up on when's a good time to tourniquet, when is not a good time to tourniquet, and especially how you should do it. There's like a billion different ways to do it. It's all crazy. The, all the tourniquet etiquette you need. Yeah, and also the history. Too, um, there was like a whole bunch of like very nerdy doctors that got together and wrote an abstract on like the history of the tourniquet, which is cool because it helped me. So I'm sorry for calling you nerds if you're listening. Nerd. But anyway, um, that's it for tourniquets. Now we are going to move on to something completely different, and it's going to be I would consider the funnest part of the podcast of this episode. Yeah. Uh, that my last topic, bear survival. All right. So before we get any deeper, let's define a bear. <laughs> It is a big, hairy thing that sleeps. I so mean, why do we have to protect ourselves from bears then? Because they're much bigger than us and they could beat us senseless. They'll sleep us to death. <laughs> they will sleep. Bears are known for their sleeper holds. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, when things sleepwalk, they put things in a sleeper hold. <laughs> Somebody God. put a bear in a sleeper hold and that's where it comes from. Or a bear put a sleepwalker in a sleeper hold. That's what it was. <laughs> I'd pay to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody knows what a bear is. If you don't know what a bear is, Google it. All right. Like, <laughs> we'll have show notes. It's a big doggo. How's I'm that? Absolutely putting bears Wikipedia in the show notes. <laughs> Go for it. That's absolutely going in the show notes. So the, the odd thing here is that you can't just lump bears all into one category. There's different bears. You have brown bears. You have white bears. You, you have, have brer bear. You have brer bear. You have sloth bears. You have Winnie the Pooh. You have you know polar bears. You know all kind of different bears. The Berenstein bears. You know what's not a bear? A koala bear. 
That's a fair point. Yeah. Panda bear. Water bear. Uh, gummy bear. Wait, panda bears aren't bears either. Yeah, I know. So that's anyway. what I was going with, yeah, because yeah. you said koala bear. Okay. It's a panda bear. All right. Um, okay, so, which, that's actually a very good point. Knowing what kind of bear you're dealing with is a very, very helpful thing in learning how to survive a bear attack. Know which neighborhood you're in, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that's not a, not a bad thing when it comes to this, because different types of bears have different responses to when, you know, whether they will attack you or if you're in an emergency situation with a bear, how to approach it and how to deal with it. So rule number one of dealing with a bear. Don't deal with bears. Well, that's rule number one. Rule number two of dealing with a bear. Don't run ever. Okay. Do not run. But, no matter I mean, what. Dude, I'm a pretty fast dude. I'm pretty sure I could outrun a bear. I'm sure you want to climb a tree too. Those fuckers can climb trees. I'm sure I could swim away from it, right? Sure, Ryan. Maybe? Yes. No. Bears I mean, can swim too. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Again, we are not experts. <laughs> so a bear gets its name after the football team in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Known for their ferocity and sleeping through the winter. <laughs> they, haven't um, named a, they haven't named like a new... I know that we haven't found many new species of bear recently, but they, they're going to name it after Ditka, right? I fucking hope so. God, I hope so. Um, yeah, when you run from a bear, that almost always like instigates them running after you. You're the fucking chew toy that just got thrown. Exactly. You're that. That's it's a game of chase. That's essentially what it becomes. No, the bear's thinking. Wait, why is he running so fast? He probably stole some of my. Shit. That's right. I'm gonna get that fucker. I'm gonna find him. Uh, so the best defense against a bear uh, is very simple. Be alert. Know your surroundings. Um, so the best defense against a bear is Adderall. Yeah, there you go. Just keep you alert. Adderall and Vivance. Methamphetamine. Yep, that's it. Speed. Um, never let your guard down hiking or camping. Uh, simple things like hanging your food from a tree, things like that. Because not letting them smell your food is a very, very big thing. If they smell your food, just fucking give it to them. Don't mess around. You can buy more shit later. Just give it to them. But I paid a lot for those premium francs. Don't, don't care. Okay. Don't care how much you love those little Debbies. But they're the green apple Shrek marshmallows. Not worth it. Damn it. Um, and, you know, to be fair, also, bears are almost as much as scared of you as, you know, you are of them. Then why run from them? Uh, because it is just, it's an aggression thing. Okay. That's the main thing. And they will only typically encounter you when they feel threatened. So, or if they're just very, very hungry and you are tasty looking. See, grizzly man. Yes. Um, standing tall and shouting. That's been propagated as, as one way to deal with bears. And yeah, that's, that's a, that is a, a method to deal with them. And it does work, but it's not across the board. And it just depends. Because some bears see that as, like a polar bear. Those fuckers are huge. And so when you sit there trying to make yourself big, they pretty much just laugh at you and they're just going to eat your face off. Yeah, polar bears, as funny as they are, like, you always see these, like, cute polar bear gifts or uh, videos and stuff like that. Polar bears are terrifying. Like, yeah. have you seen the pictures of a polar bear attack? Yeah. There's this one famous one on Google, and it is gruesome. I'm not saying look it up if you're squeamish, but, oh, my God. It's like, like and it's And the dude survived, too. Yeah, it's like, its face is all red. It's, yeah, it's weird. Um, a great defense for, <laughs> for dealing with bears, bear spray. So what's in bear spray? It's essentially pepper spray. Okay. It's very, very similar. So you can get away with just getting pepper spray. 
Okay. I mean, it's it's not the exact same thing, but they both they both work. Um, I'm assuming it works against anything with eyes. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it it very much is a deterrent if you feel threatened and the bear is coming after you. Which leads me to my next point: if a bear charges at you, don't run. Despite you know, counterintuitive, um, bears will fake charge a lot just to see if they can get a reaction out of you. Gorillas do that too. Yeah. So stand your ground, and uh, elephants as well. Yeah. Stand your ground. Um, a lot of times they will repeatedly try it and sometimes they'll just give up if you're not moving because they, you, if they, they sense you're not threatened by it, it's fine. Hey, but hey, hey man, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm going to do it. Hey, guys, this, hey, this time hey, I'm going to do hey, it. Hey, hey. Once again, we're just three dudes with the internet. Please remember. Right. And, <laughs> exercise and I'm, discretion. I'm also being very, very general because. Right, right. Just, if I, I just want to overemphasize and cover our Hey, we here. are using our sources. This is all from Infowars.com. Okay. I actually, Ryan, I used your new favorite website, WikiHow, for this one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did it have illustrations? It did. Awesome. Yeah. The, you know, I am, I'm being very general and I'm, I'm being very vague, but, you know, this is a very general knowledge about bear attacks. If I were to go in specifics, I mean, we, we could have like a 20 something hour podcast on it. Yeah, no, no, no. But I feel like it's worth, you know, mentioning. Falling down and playing dead. That's another one that we talked about. Also not a bad option. That's the one I've actually heard the most. So it, it only works if... A bear is feeling def- like you put it in a corner and it's being defensive. If it's hungry, you just became fast food. But yeah, I was about to say, like, I would assume you, you can't gauge if a you know, bear was just like, oh, I just had so many berries. I can't eat another human right now. I could hardly fit even a finger in. Well, it's one of those things that like if you see a bear cub and then you see the mama, it's being, you know, it's a defensive situation. They're not hungry. Yeah. Like they're protecting your, their young kind of thing. And um, the, the last thing I'll just say before you know, we move on to your last topic, Ryan, is that whether it be the bear charging at you or whatever, if you have a, a, an emergency situation with a bear encounter, fight with everything that you have. I think Sticks. almost every bear encounter is an emergency situation. Right. But I'm saying like if it's, if it's just being aggressive and there's no way of getting rid of it, you fight with everything you have. Sticks, stones, rocks, whatever you can use to hurt it, do. Crickets. With, just throw crickets at sure, it. Sure. Go for it. Um, Guns don't always work. A lot of people think like, I'll just shoot the bear in the fucking mouth. Nope, not foolproof, bro. They're bulletproof. Bulletproof bears. Bulletproof bear. So do you think that, you're a Harry Potter fan, they have defense against the dark arts. Do you think there's a department that's defense against bears? And who would be running it? Huh. I mean, obviously Hagrid, because he's the one who deals with the magical creatures. Yeah, but like, they're usually on his side. He can't train about how to fend off one of his friends. Oh, he's just so fluffy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because uh, they got Lupin, but he's a werewolf, not a werebear. Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. Oh, great point about titties. You know, you know I mean, Snape would take defense against the dark arts against black bears, obviously, because they're darker than most <laughs> other bears. But oh, that's it. The grizzlies, polar bears, that'd be light arts. <laughs> what? That's so stupid. <laughs> that's so stupid. Uh, all right, last thing. <laughs> When you do finally escape a bear attack, if you manage to survive, don't run. Calmly, very quickly walk at a very brisk pace. Calmly, quickly walk or yell at it while walking away calmly. (laughs) 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 Just get, hey, fuck you, bear. (laughs) Fuck you. Seriously, go away. Fuck you. I'm leaving. Bye. I think he has to pee. And he's just looking for an excuse to leave. I'm back. <laughs> I think you heard his self-esteem, though. <clears throat>
You, the best way to deal with a bear attack is to, to hurt it internally. Okay? Not physically, but emotionally. You have to make sure that it stays awake at night and it's just like, oh my god, what if he's right about what he said to me? What was all that Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> anyway, uh, so are bears good and we can move on to the next animal? Yeah. Alright. So, mine is going to be just, uh, it's danger noodles. We're talking about danger noodles right now. It's going to be snake survival. And one particular technique that people have heard. Anybody, you get bit by a snake, what do you do? Pee on it. Suck out the poison. There you go, Greg. We're going to talk about people actually, that's a jellyfish, Josh. That's our sea myths. Um, actually, just beat survival. <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah, you suck it out, though. I've heard that. Yes, so the main thing that I'm going to be talking about is in most situations, I can't even find a source in this because people have been saying this for a very long time, that you should either cut the wound, like cut around it where you were just bitten by the snake, mm-hmm. or you should um, suck out the venom, which is what I've heard the most. Uh, there, was I, some movie, there was some movie where like, they had to suck the venom out of somebody's ass. Who was it? What movie was it? Oh, <laughs> oh man. wow, yeah. Yeah, I- I've seen a bunch of movies like that. Greg, I want you to Google suck it out my ass. All right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Not incognito mood, though. It's all right. I don't think the FBI is going to get on him for that one. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I remember. It was like, you have to suck my ass. You have to suck my ass. <laughs> what was it? And Oregon Trail. It was an Oregon Trail. You had to suck snake venom out of somebody's yeah, ass. That's one of the options. It's like you either can buy antidote, like when you're packing to go. Or suck and, it or, out their yeah. ass. No, or you suck out the, just suck out the poison. Oh, okay. So anyway, um, what we're going to be talking about is uh, that exact technique. Now, here's a little primer of it. We're going to be just kind of U.S. focused right now since you have the great parks and everything like that. You know, all the parks where you can get bit by snakes or the desert where you can get bit by snakes. Uh, So of the estimated 120 different types of snakes found in the U.S., which is actually kind of a low number to me. That does seem a little low. Like a whole continent, only 120 different varieties of snakes. Kind of low. Only about 20 are, it says on this website, I'm saying that right now, only about 20 are poisonous. Uh, that seems a little low. No, not only that, they said poisonous instead of venomous, which made me ch- question this website. But anyway, uh, it generally poisonous is if you eat it, you get sick. If it tries to eat you, you get sick type of deal. Venomous is if it can inject the, the toxin into you, but poisonous is just something that's among, like inside of it in general, or if you get pricked by it. Um, so, although most bites occur in the southwest part of the nation... Got it. What? City Slickers. It was City Slickers? Yep. God, I haven't seen that in such a long time. Oh, Billy Crystal, how I miss thee. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. At least one type of poisonous snake has been identified in every state except for Alaska, Hawaii, and Maine. So, I was actually surprised that there's no snakes in Hawaii. I mean, I know it's an island and everything, but that seems like kind of like the most jungly state in general. Yeah, they, uh, they typically have, like, Canadian bacon and pineapple on them, right? Yeah. You know, you could just... <laughs> so stupid. I know. Spam sushi. It's actually called uh, Musushi. I don't know. Somebody said it recently on the stream. Anyway, um, uh, Musubi. That's the name. So the most common group of venomous snakes in America is pit vipers, which oh, yeah. include... What? I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that exact thing. Uh, Yeah, I didn't know what that pit vipers were, but it actually includes rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, copperheads, and anything else you'd find in that Indiana Jones scene. Mm -hmm. So, uh, oh, actually, there's cobras in there. So, no, cobras do not count as pit vipers. 
but generally it's one of the, like rattlers, cotton mouse, and copperheads, like those type. So about 25% of all pit viper bites are dry bites, and they don't contain any of the snake's dangerous venom at all. Huh. I've actually been dry bitten before on a Boy Scout trip. Scary as hell. I got bitten in the shoe when I was like running around a wood pile. Don't ask why I was running around a wood pile. All right. Anyway. Why are we running around a wood pile? Obviously, I'm alive right now, so I didn't get bitten for sure like, or anything like that, but I got dry bitten in the Wait, foot. Did you or did you not get bitten? I was dry bitten. Okay. So what dry biting no, is, like, essentially a snake can bite, but it can choose whether to actually inject the venom at that time. Right. Okay. But you Wait, were... Wait, so it was a venomous snake? It was a rattler. It was a rattler. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got bitten by a rattlesnake. And, you and, left that part out. Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say, that's a big difference between I got bit by a snake. That's why I assume it was a dry bite, because I got bitten by a rattler and nothing happened, except for pain. Maybe you're just immune to all snake venom, Ryan. I should try it. Our next video supplement. Microdosing. We have so many different like video supplements that come from this episode. Yeah, we're actually recording this in the woods right now. <laughs> so Good thing Ryan. we have this big budget to pay in-depth media to produce all this video content for us. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> we're going to just call Ryan Mithrosnake. Hold up, I'm going to give myself a, a self-discount. Uh, you, get, you get the joke, Greg? You get it? Mithridates? It's funny. Poison King? It's uh, funny. Uh, uh, uh. All right. <laughs> In addition, since the advent of effective antivenom, the death rate from pit vipers has dropped to less than one half of 1% Real in nice. the U.S. So that's not a lot at all. Just like spiders, like spider deaths, the, you can actually count the amount of spider-related deaths on one hand probably per year. Like, not only U.S., like maybe globally. It would still be me in my head. Like, I'd be one of them. Oh, <laughs> you, you'll make sure. No, don't take me to the hospital. I want to live by what I'm scared of. <laughs> so anyway, um, now let's talk about non-dry bites, which uh, would you call them wet, wet bites? Wet bites? <laughs> moist. Let's talk about wet bites. Moist. So there's uh, several different moist bites. <laughs> Moisty bites. <laughs> it sounds like something you'd find at, like, the frozen food section. <laughs> Actually, no. They would take them out of the frozen food section. It's like the melted Hot Pocket Bites. They're there we just go. moist because they just melted a little bit. They're defrosted. <laughs> We're not talking about those. We're going to talk about the snake bites where the venom is actually included. Like, you get the whole shebang. Yeah. So there are actually several different types of venom from snakes, and we're going to talk about all of them and the implications of if you try to suck out the venom or you try to cut around the skin. So, so both of those are acceptable ways of dealing with it? That's the myth. Oh, okay. I, I thought by saying that you were like doubling down, like, yes, that actually is a good No, I'm drawing. I haven't said if it's worth it or not to okay. do that. All right. uh, I'm all drawing right. it all out. Right. So the first one we have is something called cytotoxic venom, which destroys tissue and just causes general pain, swelling, and eats away at the flesh. So it just like necrotoxic. Like, you know, that's the yeah. first one. Yeah. It's the most general one that you could think of. A lot of different venoms are like that, just cytotoxic. It, it's um, a localized thing, so it affects anything it touches. Uh, the next one is neurotoxic venom, which is a uh -oh. bit more terrifying. Yeah, that's very terrifying. Which is very dangerous, and bites will cause drowsiness, blurred vision, difficulty speaking, and eventually paralysis, which causes your lungs to stop working. And uh, neurotoxic venom is also very fast-acting. So that one, it, once it gets in the bloodstream, it just gets to party with every system you have in you. Like, so... It's, it's not just like, it's not one of those Ooh. long, drawn-out things. It's That's a problem, like an immediate problem. That's one of those where, like... I don't know. I would imagine if you got bit in the arm, just amputate. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I know, I don't know, just, you know. Just, just, just hold your speculation horse, okay? Whatever you named it. It might have no name since you've been through the desert with it. 
So uh, why the Eagles reference? Uh, so then you have uh, another interesting one to me. It's uh, hemotoxic venom, which uh, stops blood from clotting and causes internal bleeding. That's interesting. The bite site will start bleeding, and then the person will start to bleed from small cuts and mucous membranes. And then the person will also have headaches, nausea, and may start to vomit. Death may occur if the antivenom is not administered nearly immediately. And also, there's a few different ranges where um, I, I've mentioned uh, neurotoxic venom. There's somewhere there's a range where they haven't made enough antivenom because not enough people get bitten every year for it. Oh, that's so what they do is you get sent to the hospital and you're just like, all right, so enjoy your little bed with life support because we're putting it on you. Or we're putting you on it until the venom wears off. That happens some of the time when they don't have enough antivenom to be distributed on a global scale. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty much just like, glad you made it here because you're going on life support. In your conscious state, just letting you know you're going to be on it. I was going to ask you, do they put them in a coma? Uh, they might do an induced coma. I'm not quite sure if that's appropriate because you're going to be going into one regardless. Um, so, but you can do it on your own terms. Yeah. No, exactly. no, no, no. I don't want this venom winning. Put me in a coma right now. Get a hammer. So... Uh, God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll take things into my own hammer. So uh, the hemotoxic venom, a little, uh, another one, they have a few different other types of venom, but the cytotoxic, neurotoxic, and the hemotoxic are the main three. Another one that I wanted to mention is also the venom from something called the Russell's Viper. And what this stuff does, instead of uh, preventing blood clottage and bleed outs, it just makes it actually, it coagulates blood. Ooh. And I actually, uh, so... We should watch this. It's totally gross, but totally awesome. It's it's so fascinating. There's a YouTube video that we're gonna put in the show notes where they actually take like a little bit of um, oh I've seen this yeah of Holy Russell's shit. venom and yeah. then they and then they take that venom that they got from the snake. They actually like made it like bite into a little cup with a plastic top. Yeah, they made it bite into it and release some of the venom. Then they pour like a drop of it's the like venom. A, they take an eyedropper, right? Yeah, they they and they pour like human blood in there. It and becomes it, just like jelly, like blood pudding. Like yeah. it's just like this little like. It's disgusting but fascinating. So I, I just had to include that. And also, there's uh, there's a medical test. It's called like the um, the dilute Russell's Viper Venom test, where they find out how much uh, vitamin K you have in you because they put it in there and they and they find out how much like how fast the blood clots from that tight like that tiny dilute amount of venom, and they could find out like you know if you are hemophilic or if you have a problem with blood clotting in general just by the response of that. It's crazy. That's the way I understood it from the way I read it. I didn't put all the notes in it down for that, but. I thought it was at least worth mentioning. So now we're going to get to the nuts and bolts of should you actually suck out the venom or cut it. First, why would you think that out of all the things that you can get a venomous bite from, spiders, snakes, platypus, um, like Komodo dragon, that's not venomous, it's bacteria. But anyway, why would you suck out only a snake's bite? It's the only one you hear that for. Maybe because the bite's big enough or something like that? I was going to say, but I've seen those little, like, suction cup things. Or a bee. You don't, you don't suck out a bee sting, do you? Or you haven't heard to. Well, I'll poison you. Yeah, they, they have a venom. It's, it's acidic. Yeah. It's just a... Like wasp things It's either acidic like or basic. Yeah. yeah. But I've seen, it's like... It's formic acid. I've seen, like, it almost looks like the top of a, um, a turkey baster. That, like, you just put over the cut and you just use that to suck it out. Like, I've seen that before. Right. So let's go through those different lists that we talked about. So let's start with cytotoxic venom. Destroys tissue and causes pain, swelling, and eats away at the flesh. Now. You shouldn't put that in your mouth. Yes, that's the first one. <laughs> just, just straight up. Just straight up. Don't suck that one out. And that is the majority of them is cytotoxic venom. 
So there are some, there are some where if it's ingested, it won't hurt you. But if it gets into your like, you know, tissues like cytotoxic, that's fine. But it can also, you know, if you have a cut in your mouth or anything like that, mm -mm. that can be a big fucking problem. Nope. Uh, cutting away could be reasonable, but also you're making a bigger wound. So if there's some residuals left over in there, that's just going to cause more flesh to be eaten right. away at. Um, neurotoxic venom, it works so fast that sucking it out is a joke. Yeah. And same thing for cutting it. it it'll just go straight to it. They're going to put you on life support or get you the antivenom. So that one's out the window. Hematoxic uh, stops blood from clotting. Put together that one if you start cutting away at it. You're going to start bleeding a lot more. And also sucking it out probably won't do anything to you, but it's not going to do anything to help you either. Like, I mean... You get bit, go to the hospital. That's what I got from this. Yeah, that's this is pretty much the, the long and short of what you should do with any sort of snake bite. Get to the hospital as fast as you can. Yeah. Even if it's a snake you don't know is like venomous or not, get to the hospital as fast as you can. Because you don't know which one of these venoms it is unless you're a snake expert. I mean, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know now a rattlesnake has cytotoxic venom. Whatever. Um, just really quickly, get to the hospital. They usually have antivenom for most snakes that you'd be bitten by. And if you somehow get bitten by that unlucky snake that's kind of rare, well, still get to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, Still and, a good life choice. And the, even you would say something like, oh, well, you know, put a tourniquet where you get that snake bite, you know, right above it so the, the blood circulation doesn't happen. Well, it's going to fester in the rest of the arm and you have all the issues that you have from putting on a tourniquet. Like, it's really almost a lose-lose situation. Your blood circulates pretty damn fast in your body. Yeah. Like, a tourniquet's not going to, like, it's not like you're going to have, like, this wad of poison sitting in your forearm that's not moving because of a tourniquet. You'd need, like, the perfect yeah, tourniquet. Yeah, I just don't even, and, and fasten it, like, what, within three seconds? Well, especially if you, <laughs> another little aside that I didn't think I was going to mention about that, but I guess it's appropriate. For a tourniquet, a lot of people say that it's pointless to put a tourniquet on any extremities with um, a two-bone system, like, for instance, your lower arm uh, or your yeah, uh, yeah. lower leg, because in general, um, say you have, like, your upper arm from your shoulder to your elbow, that's one bone, and all of your tissue is just attached to that bone. It's so like you can, like, you yeah. can crimp it. With a two-bone system, you have all this tissue that is being, like, held in t between by the structure of your, you know, yeah, by yeah. your two bones. So that's another speculation that's, like, it's kind of pointless to do that, or it can even disrupt it even worse. So I, I thought that was kind of cool to look up. But essentially, for a snake bite, um, make sure you have some sort of emergency backup whenever you go hiking or something like that. Make sure, you know, a lot of phones have emergency GPS systems on them where it can send an emergency call. There's, you know, a, there's a plethora of different things that you can do. Amazon, uh, any, like, survival, well, you know, sporting goods store. There's things you can do in a pinch. And it's not like you're going to be carrying a bottle of antivenom with you or anti-bear with you uh, at any point unless you have bear spray. But um, Was it the bat shark repellent is that what it is the bat shark repellent in the middle yeah <laughs> um so that's pretty much what i have on snakes i wish there was a more clear-cut answer except for get to the hospital you know um so that wraps up this episode pretty much on what you should be doing in your survival that being said camping i don't like it but some people do enjoy yourself usually most people don't have to find these situations just um really good planning can prevent any of these things Unless you're on a plane that crashes in the middle of the wilderness. That's a different story. But for the most part, just um, come well-provisioned whenever you go on a camping trip. Yeah. Uh, pr being prepared and being alert, uh, honestly, is the, the best tactic and most things that you, know, you can do outside of your comfort zone. So, like, As Scar from The Lion King would say. 
Be prepared. There we go. Right. I was waiting for that baritone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, preparedness and, you know, knowing what you should do in an emergency situation. And not just like with, with camping or hiking or anything, just anything in life. Um, you know, it's a big thing that we do down here during hurricane season is like my family always talks about, you know, what to do in, in case there's a hurricane like uh, or, or a tornado um, or, you know, flash flood, whatever, whatever, whatever. Just be prepared. Uh, take the 10 minutes to sit down and think about it and buy some extra batteries and candles and things like that or, Ooh, you know, whatever be, it is. That'd be a good myth when talking about like people, how they uh, duct tape their windows and stuff like all oh, those yeah, yeah, yeah. Live home disaster repair stuff. That'd be really interesting. I think I, we oh, yeah. that'd it's be cool. Been, that would be almost <laughs> relevant since we've always been like, you know, we should do something New Orleans centric. We'll do the hurricane edition of survival. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be down. That'd be kind of cool. a natural disaster one. Damn. Hey, hey. So we're just spelling out what you're going to get in the free, in the next seasons or whatever. You can probably like write up a whole season for us, like uh, things we've always teased at. But anyway, um, thank you for listening. Uh, I don't think we have anything to say on the out, outway. Greg's going to give us a lead out real quick. But before you do that, Greg, we're going to once again mention March 31st, around 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. We'll lock that down Central a little Standard bit tighter uh, soon. We'll let everybody know. Let's just go with 8 o'clock. 8 p.m. CST. Yeah, Central Standard Time, GMT plus 6, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so be there. Uh, that's uh, twitch.tv slash instant3play. Uh, we'll have a link to it on the website somewhere where you can find. You know, it wouldn't hurt if you just subscribed to it or something like that. They're pretty fun. Can, they do pretty cool. regularly and get to – it's very interactive. It's actually a pretty fun group. Yeah, we've actually mainly been um, doing stuff like we, – we've been trying to upload, like, game playthroughs, but we've actually been playing a lot of Jackbox Party Pack lately, which is completely interactive. So if you want to play with one or all of us at some point – uh, you can play online with us and just do terrible things like we do. So there you go. That's pretty sounds, good. That sounds pretty So, Greg, good. Uh, lead us out. How can they find us? As always, you can find us at rumorfliespodcast.com, rumorflies at gmail.com, at rumorflies on Twitter and Instagram, rumorflies on Google Plus for that sweet, sweet SEO. Um, that's where you'll find all our nice long tail hashtags. So you can find all my secret sauces there. Um, <laughs> you can also find us at facebook.com slash rumor flies, YouTube slash C slash rumor flies. And please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It, we do read every single one of them and share them with each other and make fun of people, but no, but for real, it's a really good, um, avenue for feedback. Um, we love reading the reviews. We really do read each and every one of them. We love five star, but by no means are we going to force you to make them. But no, you know, I, I will. I will force you. That's true. We would really like some nice reviews, yeah. but it makes the world go round, and yep. it helps us uh, helps us get bigger on iTunes. So thanks as always for y'all support. Thanks to everyone who's written, and um, please consider Keep writing, writing to us. us please. Yeah, please with ideas, any additions or subtractions, yeah, subtractions or from our multiplications show. or divisions. No, uh, I do not allow division on my show. All right. In the future also, so just letting you know, there's going to be a little hiccup in the schedule. It's going to change at one point. You may get another episode sooner than later, um, but then it'll go back to the two-week schedule. But we're not going to say what, just, you know. Oh, it's going to be... Be prepared. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, for this episode of Rumor Flies, I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. And I'm Greg. Bye. Bye. Happy birthday.